John 3, 1 through 16. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, You must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can this be? Nicodemus asked. You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and do you not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify to what we have seen, but still you people do not accept our testimony. I have spoken to you of earthly things, and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. Thank you, Kim. Good morning, everyone. It's so nice to be here and uh, thank you, Evan. It's such a privilege to be part of this amazing church and... uh, what a great season this is, Advent. You know, do you remember the, uh, the three other themes of Advent we've looked so far? Do you remember the first one? Hope. Second one? Joy. The third one last week? Peace. And now love, which is the greatest, you know, Paul said it. First Corinthians 13. I believe it. Um, well, why, don't we, why don't we pray and, and ask God, Spirit, to, to, to guide us. Lord, thank you so much for this time. We are reminded as we have just heard and read of your amazing love. We thank you, Father, that you were willing to give your son. And Jesus, thank you for coming and living a life that we can strive to to be like you. And not only that, but uh, how you gave your yourself, you died for us. And now, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would guide us that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us hearts that are open and that would respond and that you would do great thing among us for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, today we're talking about uh, love and we're going to talk about three things. Number one, the source of love because there's many ideas about love. Number two, the fruits of love. And number three, the sharing of love. So let's, start, let's jump right in. 
And uh, the Bible says that God is the source of love. Now, God has many attributes and qualities. He has many names that reflect who he is, that reflect his character, that reflect his personality. But I think that what God is known more, more than anything else is that he is love. When we look at 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, uh, this is an amazing verse. I've always loved this since, ever since I was growing up. It says, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. What a strong statement that is. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. If you think about it, this is a pretty strong declaration. It points us directly to God as the source of true love. But how can we even begin to grasp what, lo what love is and to understand it? I think there are several things that we can look at uh, that can begin to explain what love actually is. Number one, if you're a person who likes to take notes, uh, number one, love is an action. Love is actually a verb. We just read uh, John 3.16, for God so loved. That's God in action. Love is, is, is an action. For God so loved the world that he gave his, own, his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, throughout the Bible and throughout history, God has decided to love. And, and, and love is more than, than just words, you know, poets, musicians, even politicians talk about love. But, but, but God is much, love is much more than words. Love is much more than feelings. It, it, love is actually God springing into action. Because God takes the initiative to love us even when we turn away from us. That's how God loves. He, he puts in, uh, his love into action. A perfect example of this is after the fall. After Adam and Eve had eaten of the fruit. And they hide. And God begins to ask, where are you? Of course, God knows where, he, where they are. He knows exactly where they are. But the reason why he's asking, because he is lovingly taking the initiative, taking the first step to restore that broken relationship. So God knows where they are. And by the way, God knows where you and I are at every moment. Some of us during this time of Christmas might feel alone or unseen. But I, I guarantee you this morning that God sees you and God loves you. And God has taken every step and all you need to do is respond to his love. And right away, not only does he confront and he takes that initiative in looking for them and gently ask, where are you? Uh, right away in Genesis 3.15, God gives the first messianic prophecy, uh, setting his plan of salvation into action, letting us know that the Messiah would come, that he would restore our relationship, that the Messiah would give his life for us. God has taken the steps that you and I can know his love. The only question is, are we open to accept it? Are we open? Are we willing to accept it? And God is poised to continue to love us. My grandfather, uh, who was a very wise man, he lived almost to 99 years old. He had a lot of sayings. And he used to say this, which I love. He says, if there's distance between you and God, God hasn't moved. If there's distance between you and God, 
God hasn't moved. Why? Why did he say that? Because God has done everything. He has taken the initiative. He has sent his son. Jesus has died on the cross for us. He, so many promises in the Bible. So much potential. So many words that God is poised to continue to love us. You can always turn and run towards God no matter how far you are. The second thing that, that we know about love is that love is deep. It is rich. It is unfathomable. Look at the way Paul describes the love of God in Ephesians 3, 17, 19. This is one of my favorite verses out of the book of Ephesians. It says, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. And look at the way he describes, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Did you notice the words wide, deep, and long? Here, Paul is describing the, the, the love of God in, in, in such a way that he's showing us that God's love is truly, truly deep. Um, when I read these words, I think of the ocean. Are there any divers here? Anybody here into diving? Anybody? Do you know how deep, wide, and long the ocean is? You know that there are parts of the ocean that are so deep that it's actually pretty dark in there. And scientists have discovered fish down there in the depths of the ocean that don't have eyes. Well, they don't really need, you know, they can't see anything even if they had them, right? But living in San Diego, and I grew up in Tijuana and been living in San Diego for a long time, one of the great things that we have is the ocean. And sometimes we take it for granted, right? But I always, I always enjoy when we get visitors from outside that coming to San Diego, come to visit, especially the ones who have never seen the ocean. Do you, you know what, somebody who has never seen the ocean, do you remember their reaction when they first see it? And, and I love it. it, it it's priceless, the, the expression on their faces. They are so excited. Many of them, when we take them to the ocean, they have their bathing suits on. That's one of the things that's on their checklist. I got to go to the ocean. I got to swim, right? And, and so they run towards the ocean with great enthusiasm until their toes touch the cold Pacific Ocean. Right? Have you seen this? Yeah? And, 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 and uh, they come to a complete halt right? And many, many will not go any further. They say, oh, that's, that's enough. You know, it's, it's kind of cold, colder than I thought. Yet they will take, they will take a selfie, right? <laughs> they would tell, uh, take a selfie and then they'll post in social media to them, today I swam, <laughs> right? Today I, I, I swam in the, in, in, in the ocean. Now, now, there are some that are even more daring, right? They, they go beyond the toes, they go past the ankles and to the knees. They say, okay, that's enough. You know, that's, that's as far as I'm going to go. But then you have the real crazy ones who said, I've come too far. And it is cold. But I'm here in San Diego. I'm here in the ocean. I don't care if it's cold. I'm going all the way in, right? So you hear them screaming because it's, it's, it's so cold, Right? They're screaming until they go all the way in and then they dive in and of course the ocean covers them and, and just like the other two, they say, today I swam. But who really did swim? If, if God's love is an ocean, 
I'm afraid that some of us have only put our toes in. And that's why Paul is saying, do you know how deep, how wide, how long, how great the love of God is? I hope that as we celebrate Christmas and think about God's love, about God sending his son, that we may have the courage and the hunger to dive in deep, to dive in deep. I like to ask questions, so here's the first one. And you don't need to answer, just think about it. How deep do you know God's love? Have you taken a dive? Or maybe you've just gone to your ankles? At this Christmas season, this is the perfect season to celebrate his love and to go deep. And to go deep. And we go deep by, by going in and holding anything back, by constantly surrendering ourselves to him and putting our trust in him. That's how we dive in deep. No reservations, nothing hidden, nothing being held back, just going all the way in with God and trusting him and receiving his love. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? That reflects the love of God, the love of the Father towards us. God's love is so deep that he was willing to give up his son for us, even after all of us turned away from him. Number three, love is not only deep, but God's love is unconditional. What does that mean? You don't have to earn it, and you can't do anything to stop it. God loves you. God loves me. God loves you as you are, no matter what you've done or what has been done to you. He will continue to love you no matter what you do, but you have to be willing to receive it. Now, there, there was a period in Jesus' time where he was so popular. He spoke unlike any of the teachers of his time, and he was drawing huge crowds. Of course, this made the, the, the Pharisees very jealous of him, very envious of him. And things were going really great for Jesus, drawing huge multitudes, huge crowds, until he started declaring that he was the Son of God. I think it was John 6 where he declares. And the Bible says that from that point, many chose not to follow him. All of a sudden, his popularity wasn't as big, right? So not only did the, the crowds begin to, 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 be, to be smaller... But shortly before his death on the cross, during, the, during what we call the triumphal entry in, into Jerusalem, the crowds are excited. Uh, they, they, they're yelling, Hosanna. Can you picture that? I used to picture that as a child in the stories, in the Bible stories in, in school. You know, people laying down, you know, the Palm Sunday and, and the blankets and everything. And Jesus riding in on a donkey and people are just shouting. But at that moment, Jesus knew that even those who were closest to him would either leave him or betray him. The crowds that during that day were shouting Hosanna, within a few days would be yelling crucify him, crucify him. But still Jesus died for all of them and still Jesus died for all of us, for you and me. We get a snapshot of God's unconditional love as we see Jesus in action. There's, there is a, a verse in Matthew 9, 36, which, 
which to me, that's one of the verses that really moved me. And it's talking about Jesus and the crowds. And he says this, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion of them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. I love what the way the message says it. He says, when he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. This is how deep and how unconditional, even though we turned against him when he saw the crowds, his heart broke. You know what? When we suffer, when you suffer, his heart breaks for you. His heart breaks for me. He's seen what nobody else has seen. He's seen the things that have been done to you. He's seen the injustices. The word compassion here is a deep pain. Deep pain. This is not something superficial. This is something that goes down to the core of his being. Jesus loves unconditionally. God loves unconditionally. Now, you don't have to earn his love. You don't have to qualify. You already loved deeply and unconditionally because there's a sense in religions that you have to earn, that you have to do works. Jesus did all the work. All we have to do is receive it and we have to believe and trust and take a dive into the ocean of his love and know that you are loved unconditionally. Not, you know, not only do you not have to qualify, he already loves you, but there's nothing that you can do to make him stop loving you. You are loved. Number two, let's, let's say, so we've seen God's love. We just took a small dive. There's so much we could talk about God's love. But now let, let's talk about the fruits of love, the results of love. Not only is it important to begin to grasp the greatness of God's love, we need to take it in. We need to let it overtake and overwhelm us, just like the waves of the ocean. To know of God's love is not enough. We must experience it in a real and personal way. We must experience it in a relational way. One of the things I love when I read the Gospels is the way Jesus related to the, to the Father. The way he was so close to him, the way he lived in constant communion with God, how he, 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 he uh, took time away from his disciples and spent nights talking to the Father, of how he was dependent on him, and, and how he had this deep communion with the Father. And when Jesus is baptized, just about he, he is about to begin his earthly ministry, the Father publicly reassured him. And openly declared his love for him. This is a, a very, very famous scripture. In Matthew 3.17 it says. And the voice from heaven said. This is my son. Whom I love. What a declaration huh? This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. There is a specific uh, scene in Jesus' life. That speaks powerful to me. About Jesus. And how he trusted in the Father's love. How he felt secure in the Father's love. And uh, it, it's, the story takes place in Matthew uh, chapter 8 verse 23 to 25. It says, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. So that the waves swept over the boat. This is incredible. But Jesus 
was sleeping. You know, the boat is sticking in water. The waves are coming in over the boat and Jesus is asleep. But look at the disciples. The disciples went and woke him saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. Now there's a couple of things that, we, that I think stand out to me here. Number one, these were professional fishermen. Remember when Jesus calls some of them, he says, follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Because they were fishermen. They were probably handed down. They're probably their fathers and their grandfathers and their great-grandfathers. They probably, you know, trades were, were passed on from generation to generation during those times. So these guys, they had been fishermen. They had seen a, a few storms in their time. I, I don't think this was the first storm that they had experienced. Yet these professional fishermen are afraid. And Jesus is asleep. And they can't handle it. So they wake him up. But why was Jesus asleep? Why was Jesus asleep? I think he was probably exhausted from all the ministry he had just done. He probably had long, long days of ministry. You know, praying for people, healing people, teaching people, caring for them, even feeding them. He was probably exhausted but in my opinion, Jesus was asleep because he felt secure. He knew that his mission was not over. He also knew, I believe, that at any moment, at any second, he had the power to stop that storm. Because he knew the power that was in him. But he, has, he had done so many miracles then. For him, calling, calming that great storm was nothing. But more importantly, I believe that he felt secure in the Father's love, in the Father's care. There was no reason to be afraid. Doesn't the Bible say that perfect love casts away all fear? Jesus understood the Father's love and he was secure. Now, have you ever looked into the eyes of a child that is lost in a store? How many have seen a child that is lost? Have you looked in their eyes? Have you seen the fear? Or even worse, I don't know if any of you have seen this, but have you ever seen the eyes of a child who has been abandoned? What we call street children, children of the street. Not only do you see fear, but you see suspicion in their eyes, uneasiness in their soul through their eyes. They have seen too much, and they, at, the, at that young, tender age, they're already street smart. It's something really sad to see. But in contrast, have you ever looked into, an, into the eyes of a child that is deeply loved? Have you seen the contrast? Their countenance expresses something completely different. They are secure. There is no fear. And I am reminded of that as I see Matt and Aaliyah's baby girl. I am reminded that I am deeply loved by God. That I can be secure. Know this morning, no matter where you are, that you are deeply loved. And it is not enough to know about the love. You need to experience it. And you need to know that you are deeply loved to the point where you are secure where there is no fear in your life.
You see, God designed the family as an instrument of the outpouring of his love as we are formed and as we are developed from our infancy on. Unfortunately, the fall really threw a wrench in that, really messed things up. Now, there's an illustration that I find very helpful. When I think of human beings, of us, of you and me, I think of us uh, as a mixture, like a cake mixture ready to be baked. Um, and the home is the oven where the cake is baked. Now, I'm not a baker, but I know that in order to bake a good cake, the temperature must be right, right? Not only the temperature must be right, the time spent in the oven at that right temperature is also important. You need those two things for a cake to bake, right? If these two conditions are not met, what do we, what do we end up with? A half-baked cake. And, and who loves a half-baked cake, you know? You ever eaten those pancakes that are not completely done? Have you ever had any of those? They're kind of slimy, you know? They're not, and no, 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 nobody likes those, right? Now, the right temperature in the home, the way God designed the home, uh, that right temperature comes from unconditional love and is needed over an extended period of time. But because of the fall, because of sin, we come from dysfunctional homes. No matter how good your home is, there's some level of dysfunctionality in it. I mean, my, the homes that I grew up with They were perfect compared to many other homes, but there were some dysfunctional aspects of them, even there, right? So because of sin, because of the fall, the result is that we come out of the home half-baked. The temperature was not right, or the time spent in the oven was cut short, or interrupted by pain, or even by trauma. Well, guess what? Half-baked humans marry and start new homes. Sometimes we blame, or we don't understand, or we are resentful. But remember that your parents, or whoever raised you, are also just about as half-baked as you and I are. Until God steps into the picture. And begins to change things. But there is hope. And that's what we are celebrating. God sent his son to restore and to heal. So that we can be made whole. By his endless deep and unconditional love. There is hope. But you know what? And I love this. God has also provided a second family. And that is the church. The church is an instrument of the outpouring of his love. So if your first house, if your first home didn't have the right temperature, or for some reason you left it or were maybe even got kicked out of it, God has prepared a second family for you, which is the local church. And through the local church, God can share the outpouring of his love and we can be healed. That is why community is so important. That is why we need to invest and we need to protect our relationships. To be in community is to know and be known. To be in community is to love and be loved. 
and to be instruments of hope and healing by the Spirit of God by sharing His love. The church is a beautiful thing when it's working right. It is a beautiful thing when it's working right. Unfortunately, it doesn't always work right. But we are striving here. And I can tell you from the time I spent with the pastors and the elders that 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 is the heart of this church. We want the church to be a family. We want a church to function the way God designed it. To be an outpouring of his love and to bring healing and to bring wholeness to every heart. When I was growing up, my dad was a, was a pastor of a small church in the outskirts of Mexicali, Mexico. I don't know if any of you have been to Mexicali. It's not like the capital of the world or anything like that. <laughs> but this was not even in Mexicali. This was outside of Mexicali. It was a very small church. Um, and uh, I am the middle child of five siblings. I'm number three out of five. And um, when I was seven years old, my parents, along with the elders, four elders of the church, left one early morning before the dawn to go to a leaders and pastors retreat in Ensenada, Mexico. They left Mexicali, and as they were about to enter the city of Tecate, and then they would take a turn to go to Ensenada, a drunk driver hit my father's car head on. I was seven years old. My father died instantly. My mom died in the ambulance on the way to the hospital. The other four elders survived with minor injuries. Our childhood was interrupted that day. We got kicked out of the oven, so to speak. And although we received lots of love from our paternal grandparents who adopted us, I, my siblings and I were raised by my paternal grandparents. And not only, you know, being from Mexico, the family gets involved, whether you like it or not, right? <laughs> uh, we received plenty of love from my grandparents. We received lots of love from my uncles and aunts. But there was a hole in our hearts. Then, after I finished sixth grade, I was 12 years old. My grandparents and my uncles and aunts decided that we needed to learn English, so they sent us to boarding school here in the United States. So I spent all of my adolescent years in different boarding schools. Um, I even did a stint in a military school for one year. I was glad that was only one year. And then during that first year, I could hardly speak English. I spent a lot of time drawing in the books because I couldn't understand what the teacher was saying. That's my, my first experience beginning to learn how to speak English and how to understand it. So I spent my lessons in boarding school in another country without really knowing the knowledge. And between that and what had happened by the death of my parents, I was half-baked, to say the least. And I was in great need of healing. Now, during the period of, of my life in boarding schools, during the second boarding school that we went to, there was a chaplain there. And we had services. This was really a Christian school. Um, and the chaplain, 
Uh, one day, it was a Sunday evening. It was one of the first times that I sensed the Spirit of God in a real way moving in, in a service. And at the end, the chaplain says to my two sisters and, and me, I want to talk to you. Please come. So we, 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 you know, there were people beginning to leave the meeting or the, the, the service. And, and, and he said, no, come close. I want to talk to you. And he says, I have read the biographies that you had to write in order to be accepted at the school. All of us had to write our own little biography. And this chaplain took the time to read all of our biographies. And I could see tears in his eyes. And he says, and I know what you've been through. I know that you lost your parents. I know that you're in a different country and you're just beginning to learn the language. But let me tell you, God has plans for you. God has plans for your life. And not only God has plans for your life, but the Bible says that God is the father of orphans. And he looked me right in the eyes and he said, God is your father now. You hold on to him and you don't let go. Now this chaplain has no idea what that did to a 13-year-old me. But that started a process of healing that lasted years. Today, today, <clears throat> today I can honestly say that I am healed. Today I can honestly say that I am whole. Today I can honestly say that I am free. You know, I'm just reminded of a verse in, in, in Hebrews 12 where it says that, that, that um, after the great chapter of faith, it says that we need to let aside, set aside all the things that will hinder us and stop us. And I think there are two great prisons in life, spiritual prisons. One is guilt. And uh, Jesus takes care of that guilt when we receive salvation through him. That's one prison. Many people spend years in prison or even spend their whole life in prison because of the guilt they feel. But number two, the second spiritual prison that we can find ourselves is the prison of suffering. But we don't need to be there because Jesus died and he paid and he wants to make us whole. So I can say that I'm free of that prison as well. God has made me whole. It took years. It took some counseling. And it took many people in a community such as this that came up. It took mentors. But today I have a friend who lost his father when he was young. And he says, Luis, how can you talk about your parents' death without crying? Because I can't. And I was kind of shocked. I was kind of surprised when he asked me that. And I thought to myself, maybe because I'm free. Maybe because I'm healed. Maybe because God has made me whole. And I can openly talk about it. And I can say like Joseph said, the world meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. And look how he turned it around for his glory. Romans 8.15 says, so you have received the spirit Sorry, so you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's spirit when he adopted you as his own children. And now we call him Abba, Father.
through Christ and by the Spirit, we have been adopted as his sons and daughters of God. Remember the Father? Remember that picture of Jesus being baptized and God says, this is my son whom I loved. In whom I am well pleased. Do you know that by what Jesus did for you and me on the cross? We are also adopted as his children. And when he sees you, he says, this is my beloved daughter. When he sees you, he says, this is my beloved son. Because of what Jesus did on the cross for us. Today, in Israel, the word Abba is still used by little children. I haven't been to Israel yet. I hope to one day. But I heard a friend who, who went and he was at the store and, and there was this little boy saying, Abba, Abba, calling his father. Abba is, means dad or daddy. And the Bible here, that verse says that we have received, that we have been adopted in such a way that when we think about God, we cry dad or daddy, Abba, father. I want to ask you this morning, let that sink into your soul. Let that sink into your heart. No matter what shape it is. No matter where you're at. Let that sink in today. God wants us to know that he is our heavenly father. I lost mine. Maybe you didn't lose yours. But maybe he was absent. Maybe you did have a good father. Well... If you can take the best father you know and multiply that by an infinite number, then you begin to grasp how good God is as a father. Let that flood your soul and your heart so that you can be healed and you can be made whole by his great love for you. But not only are we his sons and daughters, but we are heirs with Christ. Look at this. The, the, the Apostle Paul continues here in Romans chapter 8, 16 and 17. He says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. That's who you are if you're in Jesus. That's who I am. Do you believe it? Let that sink into your soul. This is who you are if you are in Christ. Dive deep into the ocean of his love. Grab a hold of your spiritual inheritance and be made whole. And number three, we talked about the source of love. We talked about the fruits of love, which is wholeness and freedom in Christ. Number three, let's talk about the sharing of love. As we begin to grasp and experience the greatness of God's love, the next natural step is to begin sharing it with others. Sharing it with the broken world that we live in. When we are born into the family of God through Christ, we begin a journey of growth. But after a while, if we are not careful, our growth can slow dramatically because of two things. Number one, emotionally unhealthy spirituality. That's why I was so excited when this church spent that time talking about emotionally healthy spirituality because if you're spiritually, emotionally unhealthy, that will slow your growth. You will stop growing as a believer or you will slow down considerably. The second thing that will slow our growth is lack of serving. There comes a time in your spiritual journey that unless you are serving, you will probably not be growing very much. In today's world, there is a, a spiritual consumer mentality or attitude. 
And that is the fastest way to stop growing. Sooner or later, if we want to grow, we have to serve. And here again, we look at Jesus as, as our example. Mark 10, 45 says, For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And this is a natural progression that we follow here at Park Hill Church. Remember the three things that we repeat, and we, which I believe to my core? Number one, be with Jesus. Number two, become like Jesus. Number three, do what Jesus did. Be with Jesus in today's context. Being with Jesus is to know his love in a deep way or in a deeper way than we have known. Number two, become like Jesus is to be, develop a servant's heart so that as a result of being loved, we are now full of love and we can give that love out. And number three, do what Jesus did. Serve God and serve and love others as well. I love the way Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 14 says, For the love of Christ puts us into action. It kind of propels you. It kind of pushes you into it. Now, why do we worship God? Why do we serve? It isn't because of some obligation, some moral obligation, or we want to be good boys and girls. No. It isn't because of some legalistic thing and and to try to fend off a little bit of our guilt. No, the reason why we love and we serve is out of response to God's great love. Service comes from a grateful heart, from a worshiping heart. And worshiping is not only singing, worshiping is living and loving. That's the complete picture of what worship is. And that's the complete picture of what shalom is, which Evan talked about last year, the wholeness. It becomes from a grateful, grateful heart. I hope that as we experience Christmas again this year, that we will have grateful hearts because of God's love. Because of what God loves means. Service is not only important to keep growing and developing spiritually. It's also a response or a reaction to God's incredible love operating in us. It is natural and it comes out of a grateful heart. Never do it out of obligation. Never do it out of guilt. Never do it because of some guilt trip that somebody's laying you. Never do it out of manipulation. Do it out of a grateful, loving heart who is responding to the Father's great love. And this Christmas season, as we celebrate God's gift, let's honor him as we give. In closing, where are you today? How does this Christmas season find you? Maybe you say, Louise, well, my, my life is kind of like a storm. And I need Jesus to speak peace into it. And Jesus will speak peace into it. And he will heal you. And he will make you whole. Some of us, on the outside, might look all together. But inside there's a storm that's dark and that's been brewing for years. God wants to make you whole. That is no way to live. Jesus said, I come that you might have life and have it abundantly. God not only wants you to survive, he wants you to thrive. Jesus says, he who believes in me out of his being will flow rivers of living water. That's wholeness. That's love. That's freedom. During this season, we sing the song, Joy to the World. We sing, let every heart 
Prepare him room. I love that, that line. Will you prepare room for him in your heart this morning? As we begin to close and as we begin to pray. Do you know God's love? Maybe you're new to Park Hill. Or maybe you heard this many times. But you've never taken that step of actually opening your heart to Christ. And to say, I want to know you. I want to put an end to this so-called life that I've been having up to now. I want to know that I am loved. I want to be free of those chains. I want to be made whole. Maybe this morning somehow you feel half-baked. Somebody has, this has, somehow this has resonated in your heart and you say, I don't want to be half-baked anymore. I'm done with this. Well, as, as, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and I'm going to ask some of the, the elders or the community leaders, we want to pray for you today. I believe God is here. I believe God's spirit is here. I believe he's moving here. I believe that he has brought you here to, to continue that healing process in your heart. Would you close your eyes and uh, let me begin to pray. And, and as I pray, if you need prayer, doesn't matter what you need. Would you, will you come up for prayer? Will you come up for prayer? Will you come up and be made whole? Are you ready for Christ to speak into the storm of your life? Are you ready to be put back in that oven of his church through his spirit to be made whole? Lord, we celebrate your love and we are so thankful this morning for it. We are so thankful for Jesus. We are so thankful that we can be healed, that we can be made whole. Lord, I pray over those who are hurting, over those who are struggling, over those who are in the middle of the storm, or those that have only put their toes in and are ready to take a dive, they're ready to dive in. Give us the courage to seek you. Give us the courage to take those steps, to confront the pain so that we can be healed by you. I pray for every one of those in Jesus' name. As we begin to, to sing a song, will you come up for prayer? We'd love to pray for you.